Hello, and welcome to The Exit, presented by Flippa, the number one platform to buy and sell online businesses. Flippa manages over a billion in deal value annually and combines expert buy and sell side advisory with its market-leading valuation tool, deal room, off-market offering, market insights, and an AI-based deal-by-deal matching engine. Now for The Exit. The Exit is a 30-minute podcast featuring awesome entrepreneurs who have been there and they have done it. The Exit talks to operators who have bought and sold businesses of all different sizes. You'll learn how they did it, why they did it, and get exposure to the world of Exits. It's a world occupied by a small few, but accessible to many. Now, in this episode, I sit down with Will Sachs, the current CEO at Fulcrum Venture Accelerator that helps entrepreneurs raise their seed round. What I'm really excited to dig into about this conversation is about his company, Kandara. It's a really awesome company about how to basically plot reproductive health and fertility goals, and it's a really empowering business. So what we dig into is just the rocky experience of going through this. And no acquisition is the same, no exit is similar, but this one was a really cool story. And he talks through how he stepped back onto the board. They brought in a couple different CEOs and ultimately went through this exit with some kind of wild side letters and things like that happening towards the end. And his experience going to Techstars as a coach, talking to a lot of different entrepreneurs and all the different things that go into a hardware business. I haven't gotten a chance to talk to too many hardware entrepreneurs on this podcast But this one was really cool because the Hacks program, which was in Shenzhen, China and San Francisco, I knew friends that actually went through that. So it was really fun to talk to him about the Founder Institute that he went through and Hacks to develop this hardware product uh, that really helped with fertility. So without further ado, let's sit down here on the exit and talk with Will Sachs about his exit. All right. I am here with Will Sachs, the founder and CEO of Fulcrum Venture Accelerator. How's it going today, Will? Hey, Steve. Going good, man. Good to be on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to unpack the exit. But before we do, let's talk about your background. What got you into business and entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think it was actually, well, a, a few people. My grandfather, first of all, who was an engineer uh, with the Canadian government and worked on the one of the first supersonic aircraft that that commercial aircraft or yeah that was created uh, oh. called the Avro Arrow um, and I just hearing him talk about engineering and building stuff got me interested in in the whole realm of creating things um, he then quit that and and became a photographer and did the Expo 67 photography exhibition um, in Montreal so yeah, my grandfather. And then when I was in engineering school, uh, my friend Gabriel Miranov, who has since passed, uh, introduced me to uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that whole book series. And that got me into understanding how this is actually done, like how you can actually make a living creating things, creating businesses and products and selling them. So that's how it happened. Nice. nice. So let's talk about the, the first initial venture. Uh, and then we can talk about the success. But uh, what was your your first initial startup, and what was the one that became successful? 
Yeah, the first thing was actually uh, the building a solar-powered race car in college. And we needed to raise half a million dollars or more to build this thing. And we didn't get any support from the, the administration, really. So it was just like pure startup styles, five dudes in the mech lab at McGill. Uh, my friend Gabe used to sleep in the oven because he didn't have an apartment. So he would sleep in this big composite oven uh, <laughs> at night when everybody else went home. And we were trying to, we had this dream of building this solar powered race car and racing it from Chicago to Los Angeles in the American Solar Challenge. And uh, we needed to raise a bunch of money. So I got on the phone, started calling companies around town saying, hey, we're building this race car. Do you want your name on the side of it? And we started getting yeses and we started putting the thing together. And we ended up building it at the helicopter factory that was outside Montreal that we somehow convinced to let us go there at night. And then we, we raced this thing from Chicago to Los Angeles. Uh, and that was the first experience I had of, of, we had a picture of something in our minds and we put in a lot of hard work and eventually, you know, did it. And so out of college, I started a lighting company called Lumetro with a friend and we were selling energy efficient lighting to big businesses and, uh, and that was going okay, but it wasn't really taken off. And then, uh, I met my former partner and started learning about fertility charting and that's what got me into creating Kendara, which ultimately was the company that we we raised a bunch of money for and then sold in 2018. Got it. Okay. Cool. I mean, that's quite a quite a progression from lighting to f- fertility. Solar that's car a- to lighting <laughs> to fertility. Yeah, I love it. And yeah, for everybody listening, you know, when when you do encounter entrepreneurs usually the eagerness to jump into new spaces and learn as you go is what defines like a lot of the industries that we have today. Like Elon's a great example. A lot of these people that just literally learn as they jump into new industries, I think that's what it's all about. Um, That's how you find inefficiencies that people that have been in there for a long time haven't been able to see. And it's like having a new set of eyes on a problem, which is really powerful. So let's talk about the the startup. How did it how did it begin? Did and you raised money? Did you go through accelerators? Did you find multiple co-founders and and what was that experience like? Yeah, so it began uh we started dating me and Katie my co-founder and uh we started I I, I at some point I was like, "Hey, are you going to go on the birth control pill?" cuz we we started having the birth control conversation and she said, "No, uh why don't you get a vasectomy?" And I was not ready to get a vasectomy at that point. Still not ready. Um, and, and then I said, no. And she said, well, we could use fertility charting. There's a, you can chart your fertility and use that data to avoid pregnancy. And I thought that was total BS. And she said, well, actually, you don't know what you're talking about. Read these, these books. And I read Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler and Garden of Fertility uh, by Katie Singer. And it completely opened my eyes to what is available through charting fertility signs. And not only can you use it to avoid pregnancy or to get pregnant, but you can identify hormone problems. You can understand what's going on with your uh, your cycle and your vitamin, like even vitamin levels, and all kinds of health things. And I realized that it's a vital sign. Um, and if if men had a cycle, like you better believe we'd have all this technology that would have been created to track that data and analyze it and, 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 uh, nerd out on it. And so I I saw an opportunity to create a platform to help women understand their fertility data and help 
help them understand and connect to their bodies, help their partners understand and connect with them. So it was just the most beautiful thing that I had come across yet in my life. And uh, I remortgaged my house in Toronto, put all the money into the company bank account, uh, hired a developer, and just kind of set off. Made a whole bunch of mistakes, like wasted wasted a lot of, not wasted, I learned a lot of expensive lessons, I guess I would say. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we ended up getting into... Founder Institute in New York. We moved from Toronto to New York. And so we did Founder Institute. And that was a great experience. Uh, Out of that program, we raised a friends and family round. And then we got into Hackcelerator. So we went to China because we were building a hardware component. And it was the first cohort of Hackcelerator. And uh, that was an incredible experience. And then coming out of Hackcelerator, we raised a $350,000 angel round moved the company to New York or to uh, Boulder, then ended up raising a couple million dollars in angel money. And then eventually did a $3 million seed round and built a, built our hardware device, which I have one here. This is our fertility thermometer called Wink. And so this syncs with the phone and uh, we, we had that manufactured overseas. That was a whole experience. Uh, nice. Yeah. And then, and then uh, long story short, after the company had raised about $9 million dollars, we ran into some difficulties and we ended up selling in 2018. Got it. And for those listening on, on iTunes and your, your podcast uh, platform, basically it was a device that looks like a little lighter, like a, like a black... Makeup. Uh, we, we were going for makeup. Oh, makeup. Got it. Like a little yeah. black makeup container. And when he opens it, it does a little wink, like a little face wink on it, which is really cool. <laughs> uh, really cool. So... You raised a bunch of money. Uh, you said nine million total. I think yeah, the company raised nine million total. Yep. Okay. And the the conversation that began, like when you, when you guys were tracking, was it units of sales that you were tracking as success? Was it the amount of users on the the application? Did they need both that uh, that device and the app, or was it just onboarding onto the app? Uh, you mean in turn. In terms of what were investors looking for, or did the, what did the user? What was the product? The the KPIs, like how were you defining success as the, yeah. as the business? Yeah. So for the first number of years, we were defining success as monthly active users mm-hmm. and data tracked, like how engaged people were with the platform. But then we had a heck of a time monetizing. Like we couldn't we couldn't really figure out a way to monetize our users well, which was what brought us to building the hardware, which is something that we wanted to do from the beginning anyways, but we had kind of put it on the back burner because everybody said, don't do hardware, don't do hardware, don't do hardware. So at some point we had a, just had a strategic huddle and decided like what we want to give women is a seamless experience of charting their fertility. And that requires us to do the hardware. So let's do the hardware. And uh, so then we did a pre-order campaign for the hardware. We made a really nice launch video and started selling them. And then from there on, the metrics became like units sold because that was our revenue driver. And then really late in the company's trajectory, we realized, oh, when people buy the thermometer, they're then willing to pay a yearly subscription. So that helped us figure out like the full business model. Got it. Very cool. So kind of went the hardware route and this this would have been 2000 2014 when we 14. wow it's almost okay. 10 years ago it's amazing when we first yeah, launched it was, 
that was a big like wearable time. I remember totally with the the Fitbits and everything was really just exploding with wearables all over the place. I remember yes. that. Yeah, and I remember I was fundraising and and I said, well, Fitbit's going to go public to some uh, a venture investor in New York, and he was like, Fitbit's never going public, and. And then they did, and he sent me a bottle of wine. So I remember that. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the the exit. Um, how did those conversations begin, and what were were they? You know, how did how did that person approach you or that firm, and how did how did that start? Yeah. So we, well, first, like I, I burned myself out as CEO. And I learned that lesson. So I was working like 80 hour weeks for five years, which I advise founders to never do. Uh, because if you burn yourself out as the founder, you're the, you're the number one resource. Like the, <clears throat> the founder's energy in the early stage is the number one resource of the company. And if you burn yourself out, you're not going to be able to bring that resource to bear on the company. And then that's going to not end well. So it didn't end well for me. I got to the point where I was just really struggling to get up and go to work and find gas in the tank. So I went to the board and I said, Hey, this is the situation that I'm in. I think we should hire another CEO to step in here and, um, you know, I'll stay on as product manager, but I, I'm feeling really challenged to, to run the company right now. And so they said, yes. Uh, and we found another CEO um, and then we actually went through a couple CEOs, like in a short period of time, which was a little messy. And, you know, there's so much that, uh, that I could share on this, but I'm just trying to pick out the most salient points for the summary. Essentially, we got into the position where we had a new CEO and then that person started having some serious health challenges. And that made it so that we initiated conversations about acquisition. Got it. And was that done through like a banker? Did you guys hire somebody to go out and start shopping it around? I believe we, we had a few irons in the fire in terms of, I don't think we actually formally engaged a banker, but we, we had a few people like on our list, on our short list that we went out to and they responded and said, yeah, we're interested. So that's how it went down. We ended up going with the, the top person on the list, said, yeah, we're interested. And we ended up being able to get a deal done with them. Nice. And timeline-wise, from that moment of like, hey, this is our person, to stepping into that office or, or going through the transaction, what did that look like? I think it was like six months. Okay. Something like okay. that. Yeah. And how big was the team when you had, had, um, had those conversations? We were like a small team at that point. I think it was, I think there was five or six people on the team. This podcast is brought to you by Flippa.com, the leading global platform to buy and sell online businesses. Do you need evaluation for your business? Have you asked yourself who would buy my business? Flippa has a leading valuation tool. It's free to use and based on thousands of historical sales. To get evaluation or to schedule a call with an advisor, head to flipit.com slash free valuation. Now back to the show. Yeah. It's so interesting how everybody has their different 
measurements for big and small teams. Uh, so I'm always curious to hear the adjectives used because mm-hmm. uh, some people say like, yeah, it was a small team. There's only like 400 of us. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then other people say like, yeah, it's a small team is, you know, five or 10. Or a big um, team. But- there was like 10 of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's different for everybody, but I, that's my my term. Small team, five people, definitely same boat uh, with that. And I think what would help is just understanding like the 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 team of people. Obviously, the CEO was was struggling during that time, and the transaction happened. Did everybody go over to the company? Was there an earnout where you guys had to stick around for a while? I so I wasn't operational by that point, so I was just on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, by that point, the the team did go over it, and there was no earnout for me. Um, I don't really recall, uh, you know, for the team members that went over, I don't recall to be honest. Yeah. yeah, and I think something that would help because gearing up for for an exit like that requires a couple different ingredients. Um, and if you could share some tips on preparedness for people that are listening or watching, how, how would you prepare again for something like this to go through with the business personally, however you want to walk through it, but any, any advice for people that you could give on preparedness? Yeah. So since I feel like I've learned a lot since then, so I'll be sharing from that. What I've learned since then is when you go to sell a company, you want to get multiple buyers who are interested at the same time. And so that then there can be some sort of bidding war where people who want the business can kind of fight over each other and establish a real market price. And I've since learned that I think it's 80% of the time when founders try to sell the business themselves, they don't get the outcome that they're after, or there is just no outcome. Like it doesn't actually, they can't get a deal done. And so I think my advice, if I were to do it again, would be to engage a company or a broker to go out and run more of a competitive process because there's a, that saying in sales to have one buyer is to have no buyers. And I think that's true to a certain degree that if there's no competition in a deal, then you're definitely not going to get the best terms, the best price. Well said. And let's shift gears to timing. Why was it the right time to, to sell? I mean, I know you mentioned that you'd shifted out with having a new CEO in there for the, the deal but could you share some knowledge around why uh, timing was right? I think the investors were tired. It was, it was just really kind of tumultuous and difficult given all the dynamics with, with health challenges and changing of staff. So mm-hmm. it felt like, unfortunately, it wasn't, we were not the unicorn in the VC's portfolio. We were, you know, a few rungs, we, we were down the, the ladder and our investors were trying to figure out like, what do we do with this company? And so I think that, you know, it was a, it was the time for everybody to get out. We didn't have leadership that was aligned. And so it was, a, it was a heartbreak, honestly, Steve, like it was, I'm over it now. It feels, doesn't hurt now, but at the time it, there was definitely heartbreak in there for me because we had a big vision about creating a, a company that was going to go on and do big things. Um, mm-hmm. And so to, to see that not happen was really difficult. Yeah. And after it went through, Obviously, headlines came out. There was a lot of conversations about it. What was that like? I mean, you probably got messages, I'm assuming, from people and people were reaching out. So that switch uh, is is very unique 
to this where I'm familiar with it. A lot of people are familiar with it of just basically terror for, you know, six months of your life going through a transaction. And then all of a sudden everybody's like, Oh, cool. Like Will has enough money to just never work again in his life. And I'm going to reach out to him. (laughs) And and it just, it, it, it happens every, every time like that. But I'd love to get your take on what that experience was like right afterwards when people were, were reaching out. Yeah, it is bizarre. And not every exit leaves the founder with enough money to not work again in their life, right? Every, I hope oh, yeah. that PSA for that. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the case for me. So yeah, I mean, there's lots of different ways that deals are structured. Obviously, some include cash, some include stock. So yeah, it was cool though. I mean, it was nice to... What was cool for me was like, we started with an idea and nothing else. And we took it all the way through to another, you know, uh, an established company buying Kendara, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I learned so much through that process because we did a multiple angel rounds. We did a couple of VC rounds. We went through the transaction. There was wrangling and suspect behavior by certain people in the transaction at the 11th hour to try and change things and... You know, it's just like incredible, the stuff you see. People are yeah. like, we're going to, you know, the deal's supposed to close tomorrow. We're going to get this side letter circulated. And it's like, what? No. <laughs> but then <laughs> but then there's different dynamics. When, it, when a transaction is about to close, there's a real opportunity to grab more cash off the table. To, you can like threaten the deal and grab more cash off the table and everybody's got a vested interest to maybe let you have that cash because they want the deal to go through. So it's weird dynamics. I mean, we were talking a little bit before this and you said that that happens in a lot of transactions. So it was cool to see that first person. And now since, you know, I I work with entrepreneurs and I see the same kind of things happening in deals where it'll all be agreed and then people go in to sign and somebody pulls out at the last minute some, some extra term that they want or something that they want changed. And it's, uh, Surprising, but educational, I guess. Yeah. And that was well described in that that urgency is played differently by different people. Um, When money gets put on the table, people really can change uh, pretty fast and will use just as you described it well, that if if this means that it won't go through, you're going to try and give me what I want. And it's just this weird leverage dynamic. And for everybody listening, usually the more cooks in the kitchen, the more difficult it is, the more investors like Will was describing, you know, it can get very complex. There's side letters, things like that all at the last hour, which is really a a nerve wracking thing to to go through when everybody wants the same thing. But anyways, it, it went through and, you know, you made it to the other side. And after that, you went on to work with Techstars, right? You got a, an experience there? Yeah, I started coaching and that led me to coaching various entrepreneurs and it's usually tech startup founders. Uh, and then I ended up uh, at Techstars at the Sustainability Accelerator in Denver and uh, coaching their, the CEO roundtable, which was really interesting. So every week we get all the Techstars CEOs would come in, people would share what they were working on and the problems that they were having. And, uh, you know, it was all around like relationships with co-founders, raising money, all that stuff. And so 
<clears throat> got an experience of working with those founders and seeing how Techstars is run from the inside a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that was and that was cool. We mentioned uh, some some shared shared names beforehand, uh, like Brad Feld and David Cohen and, and the Techstars crew, and I'm very very like optimistic as to what they've done for the world. I mean, they've done incredible things. They've moved the needle by far uh, more than most have in terms of elevating and supporting entrepreneurs. So that's cool that you got a glimpse into what what was going on behind the scenes. You got to experience uh, like the tumultuous things going on from the CEOs. Uh, so that's really cool that you got the front row seat. So let's take a rewind. And knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself 10 years ago? I think like focus on product market fit, get to product market fit. Like that is the main, that's the main waypoint or proof point in, in being an entrepreneur. And I think it's not talked about enough is when you've got an idea, you need to prove out that you've got something that people are going to buy and it's gonna, they're going to buy it for more than it costs you to make it. And there's going to be some profit margin there. And so much energy is spent doing everything else except that, when really that's the only thing that matters really in a company's life. And you can sometimes do that super guerrilla style with pencil and paper. Uh, like I heard the Airbnb story where they went around door to door registering hosts just being like, hey, we're starting a company. Do you have a guest room? Would you like to rent it out? How about, could we rent it out from you tonight for 50 bucks? Like just validating that stuff really quick and dirty. And you can do that in, in a lot of companies, you can do that really easily. And so that's probably the advice is, is like get to product market fit as fast as possible and then build the company around that product market fit. Mm-hmm. Well said, product market fit. So those are all the questions I have for you. What are you working on now? Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Well, now I'm running an accelerator myself. Uh, It's called Fulcrum. And uh, we are helping entrepreneurs raise seed capital. So we find entrepreneurs who are in the pre-seed stage or the seed stage, and we work with them to help them develop their fundraisers. So whether they're raising a couple hundred thousand dollars or a couple million dollars, we like plugging in right at that stage. And Honestly, teaching a lot of the stuff that Techstars doesn't really teach, which is how do you, how the heck do you raise money? Like similar to exits, probably somebody who's been through a number of exits, you start to understand how to do it well. Now that I've been through a number of fundraises and helped other founders raise $30 million through our program, we see that there's a very set set of steps that founders can follow to be successful at raising money. And so many companies die because the founders just doesn't know how to do that. And that doesn't make any sense to me. So that's why we started Fulcrum and that's what we do. Nice. Very nice. And where can people learn more? Uh, www.fulcrumventureaccelerator.com or just type in Fulcrum Venture Accelerator to the Goog. You'll find us. The Goog. Very cool. And is that like mainly remote? Are you are you in a physical location? Is it all Zoom-based or how are you guys doing that? It's all remote. We work with founders from everywhere. We've had founders in the Middle East, uh, founders in Asia and Europe, South America and North America. Cool. Very cool. Well, those are all the questions that I have for you. Anybody that's listening on Spotify or iTunes, the links that we'll mention will be in the show notes, but thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's great. Great to come and chat with you.